For the week of January 17th, 2021, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 525, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And aboard the ship, the Hispaniola, I'm Michael Giltz. Oh, jeez. Soon may the weatherman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. Go! Okay, can you tell there's very little happening in the news? Very, very little. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't be talking. First of all, what is Hispaniola? I'm sure it's some historic thing I'm supposed to know about. It's the ship from Treasure Island. Oh, yeah. uh, I had had to look it up, too. Don't worry. But what's the other thing I'm doing? I don't know. You are. Oh, she sees shanty. May the wellerman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum one day when the tongue oh is God, done. Twice? We'll okay. leave and go. Go. Now you go and then we do it and we keep building and building. Yes. Yeah. This week there were like 117 articles about the, ex- the explosion of sea chanties on TikTok. Uh, they all talked about it. The New Yorker, the New York Times, New York Magazine. Everybody just said, hey, write about that. And everybody published their long, in-depth article on sea shanties all at the same time. By the way, as we all know, Wellerman is not a sea shanty. It's it's actually a whaling song. We know that. Don't call us. Don't write us. We're well familiar with what I don't know is what the tonguing is done mean. When the tonguing is done, I'm like, I don't know, but I want to join a ship. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, okay. I, I, I don't even know. I, I can tell you. So to our listeners, here's the thing. Uh, we don't actually plan these intros at all. And so I, I'm bringing nothing to the table here because this came out of left field to me. I have no idea what the heck Michael Gilds is talking about. So, right so now. your daughters are not singing sea shanties. They have not no, caught on to the TikTok that. craze of sea shanties. Well, it's fun. You should go check it out. But meanwhile, we have a modest correction. I, I referenced the governor of Michigan as a Republican. No, of course, she is a Democrat. I apologize for that. But we try to correct things when we get them wrong, and we cover a lot of ground. So what are we going to talk about this week? Well, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, we are looking forward to a peaceful inauguration. Hey, <laughs> you know what? A podcast can dream, can it? <laughs> Meanwhile, the worldwide box office continues to chug along, even as Europe and North America continues to shut back down. I mean, it's pretty much shut down. I don't know if it's shutting back down. It's been shut down, and it never opened. Meanwhile, the Directors Guild of America officially threw its weight behind the Writers Guild in its dispute with the last agency holdout, William Morris Endeavor. And in fact, what the Writers Guild said was, hey, you really got to lose some weight since, you know, you're... It's a weight joke. Get it? (laughs) Uh, In streaming news, for the first time ever, a TV property not from Netflix tops the Nielsen charts. On Inside Baseball, we take a closer look at the 24-hour news channels. Do the ratings for the last two and a half months reflect the unprecedented crisis we've been facing here in the U.S. or a sea change in viewership? Maybe James Murdoch got out of Fox News when the getting was good. You know, he got out like last, the end of last year. But, you know, actually that crisis, we have a political crisis. But we also have a health crisis, right? I mean, that's, it's a health sure. crisis the entire world is facing. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz, or as I like to call him, Mike Drop. And if you want to know where that comes from, <laughs> you listen don't. all the way to the end of the show. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, that's right. Recording. I was recording that oh, little bit. No. But anyway, Michael Giltz, <laughs> entertainment journalist extraordinaire. He's going to fill us in on last week's box office, or as I like to call it, what Chinese movies did this past week? <laughs> that's uh, entertainment journalist and rapper Michael Giltz to you. Anyway, <laughs> we're looking at box office around the world. 
for the week ending January 17th. We did not pull our information from ComScore because they're not active. Come on, people, get on board. Things are happening. But we did do our best job that we could. We looked at box office everywhere. Leading the charts again is, of course, China. And they are topping the charts with A Little Red Flower, that sort of Chinese fault in our stars type movie that made $24 million this week. And it's at $200 million worldwide. Right behind that is the Chinese thriller Shockwave 2. That stars Andy Lau. It made another $16 million. That's closing in on $200 million as well. It's at about $180 million right now. At number three, we have a Japanese film. It's the animated blockbuster Demon Slayer, the movie Mugen Train or Infinity Train. That made another $12 million. It's at $375 million worldwide. Normally, we would say, and you know what? It still hasn't opened in the biggest market in the world, but it has because it has already opened up in China. The United States, is that the second biggest market still this year? I guess it is. I guess we're like, still mean, number two. For, for yeah, we're, we're, yeah. I mean, look, I think all of these, it's it's like... Uh, right, I'm saying the, that for the moment, you know, so many yeah. countries are shut down. So these the are fact, the asterisk years. That's <laughs> yeah. right. But the fact that it hasn't opened up in the US is not that important because whenever it does, unless they delay it a year, it's not going to make a lot of coin. But it's doing great. $375 million worldwide. I look forward to seeing it. And number four around the world, another Chinese film. It's Warm Hug, another $12 million. That's at $125 million and counting. We have no idea what these movies cost to make, these Chinese films. We'd love to know. I'm assuming looking at the trailer, the Warm Hug was not a big budget film. So I'm sure it's wildly profitable already. But if you know the budgets for any of these movies, tell us. Yes, you can send your your uh, very confidential missives to dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Uh, you can also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're also on Twitter where our handle is at showbizsandbox. And we're on Facebook. Facebook.com slash showbizsandbox is where you can like our page. Now, Here's the thing, Michael. I, you know, our email is so confidential that as Raul Boreal will tell you, you can send me something in August. <laughs> I won't okay? even look at it. <laughs> I won't even look at it until January. Because I want to maintain your privacy. <laughs> yeah. Back at the charts, we have films from China, Japan, and now, yes, the U.S. Wonder Woman 1984 made another $11 million. That's close to $150 million worldwide, which means it's close to matching its budget. Uh, right below that is the Pixar film Soul that made another $10 million with $57 million counting worldwide in China. At least it's the, I think it's the third most popular Pixar film and it's climbing the charts. So it may ultimately become the most popular Pixar film released in China to date. Also interesting because technically it stars a black character. It's focused on a black jazz musician. The Hollywood uh, taboo is that, oh, movies starring black people don't travel around the world. And we can make a hundred examples of that, that that show that's not true. And hundreds of stars like Will Smith and Denzel. But when they don't try, it doesn't work. So comedy stars don't travel because they don't try. Here we have a cartoon. Yes, but it's about a black character and he's doing great in China. So that's worth noting. Right below that is a Taiwanese film called The Soul. It's a, a crime drama of sorts. It grossed about $8 million this week. I think it opened up last Sunday where it made $2 million. That's what I'm gathering from reading the tea leaves. So it's at $10 million total. Below that is The Crudes, A New Age, another $6 million, just like Wish Dragon. This is a U.S. and Chinese co-production, I believe. That's the way to characterize it. Netflix has the right in the U.S., if not the rest of the world. It's an animated film. It includes the voice work of Jackie Chan. It opened up modestly in China. 
to uh, $1 million last Sunday, and I believe it's made $7 million total. So it made about $6 million this week. Then there's a film I forgot to look up. It's called A Hustle Bustle New Year. Probably a Chinese film, but I can't swear to it. $2 million it made this week. I'm not quite sure why it's opening after New Year's. So I'm not quite sure what happened there. Uh, the Rescue, News of the World, and The Octonauts Ring of Fire. We've talked about them all before. They all made about a million dollars this week. But the worldwide box office is so low, they're practically in the top 10. So that's why we're mentioning them. Now, you also heard me mention Raul Burrell, uh a few m- minutes ago. Uh, and if you're wondering, what did he just say? Uh, Raul Burrell is a listener. He has a new podcast called Streaming Into the Void. We mentioned it on uh, episode, I believe, 523. And we rated it. Yes, we reviewed it and rated it in one of those podcast aggregators. Like, Well, I don't think we can. We didn't do it. it was I, did it, I did it on iTunes, and, and yeah. now I've listened to it and have enjoyed it. Yes. Now, I should point out that every Friday, it seems, they uh, are producing a, maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe it's not Friday. Maybe it's Wednesday. I don't know. But every week they're doing what's new in streaming as well. Now, that's a shorter episode, around 10 minutes, as opposed to their longer episodes, which are around, you know, 45, 50 minutes. Uh, but what's new in streaming has also uh, started uh, both on the same feed. So you can get both from streaming into the void. So he has twice as many shows as we do. Yes, he is putting us to shame. I'd like to say that uh, we taught him everything he knows. <laughs> Except we taught him everything he shouldn't do. Yes, correct. What what is the DGA teaching us this week? That if you want to be a director, you should probably belong to them and pay their annual dues. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's what they're doing. What else? They're they're also saying, hey, you know, uh, hey, William Morris? Yeah, what the WGA says. What they said. said. Yeah. They're they're, they're officially throwing their weight behind the WGA in its dispute with the final holdout agency, the William Morris Endeavor. They're saying they fully support the WGA stance on production companies. Uh, So your desire to upend the rules after everyone else has agreed to them isn't going to fly so easily. So we'll have to see where it ends up. Hopefully they can come to terms. We've been wildly biased biased towards the WGA the whole time, but we would like to see peace. Uh, If they're making some reasonable request or some compromise or something that they want to argue, let's hear about it. All we've heard is they don't want to do it. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that's 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 as most that I've heard in the official news stories in the Hollywood Reporter variety and deadline. So if they've got a good stance to make and a good argument to make, we're not hearing it. We'd love to hear it to hear their side as well. But we're not. We certainly heard from the SAG Awards. The yeah. Actress- and they did have a good argument to make. They, they basically, did. Uh, excuse me. I'm standing here. <laughs> and the stupid Grammys said whatever that, you know, compared to the you know Grammys, what? the Six SAG Awards. Yeah. You should back up six feet, social distance <laughs> should back up to April, which is what the SAG Awards did. The Grammys changed their award show day to March right on the day that the SAG Awards were going to take place and grumpily, angrily, but recognizing they really didn't have a good choice. The SAG Awards have moved their award show to April to avoid the other one. So a shame that had to happen. I'm sorry. The Grammys won't happen in January. I'm not sure what they think will be different in March. Whatever they think magical thing was going to happen in eight weeks. It ain't happening. So, you know, if you're going to do it, not going to do it in March, not going to do it now, don't do it in March. It won't work. So they're going to have to either change what you're planning or wait till the summer or, you know, hand them out digitally. <laughs> to give you some sense, and I know this is totally kind of on topic, but yet totally unrelated to entertainment. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to get vaccinated. And basically what Isn't I'm being- out of pain, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, look, I'm not How, trying to jump in line. Surely, that is not well, what yeah, I'm surely trying to you're, Yeah. Surely you're not uh, up yet. 
No, gosh, I'm so far down the line. But, you know, I heard, oh, in California, they are not throwing vaccines away. So at the end of the day, they've defrosted some. There's like reserve, yeah. I I said, oh, my God, they're trying to do the Hamilton effect where, like, 400 people wait outside for the four tickets that they give away. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, I'm going to be one of those guys that waits at 530 every day as the vaccine clinic closes and they've got, like, the one extra dose. You get Uh, a jab and you get a jab. Yeah, yeah, except what they're doing now is they're calling people who who are legitimately 65 and over. You know, uh, that was actually Steve Martin's joke was good news, bad news. Good (laughs) news. Good news. I got vaccinated. Bad news. I was able to get vaccinated because I'm 75. (laughs) Because I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, but you know, basically what I've been told by these clinics uh, is, look, you know, we are so back. We probably will not get through 65 and up for the next two months. If we can get through them in two months, boy, will we be happy. What does that mean? Start thinking about how long it takes to do not one, but two, two different doses. So think about it. If two months, let's say. April 1st, I can get, get my first dose. Okay. Just, that means uh, it's just, late April or May before you get your second dose. Right. And then you have to wait the two to three weeks for the vaccine to be fully effective. So that's mid-May. Start yeah. doing the math. I'd been signing up into every list I could find for my mom, finding out I didn't have to stick to my own county. I'm in Jefferson County in Alabama. So, all right, I'll sign up for other counties. Never occurred to me. Uh, but outlying counties that aren't too far away for us to drive through, uh, our medical group, uh, the University of Alabama, the other thing, this group, the state list. I never got any information from the local news website, AL.com. I never got any information from the TV, local TV station. It was always somebody going, hey, I saw a new list you can sign up for. <laughs> That's how every single list I've found and signed up for was com- somebody whispering it to me, in the, you know, like a rumor. Finally got an appointment for my mom. She's 91. She will be 92 in two weeks. So she's really at the top of the list in that 1A, 1B category. So happily, we seem to have the first vaccination on Thursday. So that'll be good. So she tops the list in vaccinations. She's 92, for God's sake. And a new show is topping the list of the Nielsen Top 10 streaming shows for the week of mid-December, December 14th through December 20th. You know, we've been talking, I've been pushing for this a while. Hey, they need to wait to put out the ratings. And it always feels like you're a little step behind, but we're not. We're saying, all right, these were the big shows on streaming uh, about a month ago. But so what? People have 30 days to watch this stuff. They have seven plus days to watch it and still count for advertising. So these are the numbers we care about. Well, and and now that advertising doesn't matter, at least for these. Well, some of them have. Well, that's not true. A show could be a a top uh, streamer on Peacock. Oh, and they're, they're advertising on Hulu. There's advertising on Peacock. Being a streamer doesn't mean no advertising. HBO, yeah, Max, way- HBO Max is about to have advertising, an option for people who want it for cheaper. So, yes, advertising matters. They care who's watching what on streamers when there are ads to be bought. But right now, the number one show on Nielsen in streaming per that company is not a Netflix property. It's The Mandalorian. 1.3 billion minutes were viewed in that week. It was the end of season two, I believe. So that was when the second season finale aired and people were catching up or binging or doing whatever. So that was the number one show dethroning The Office, which is in its final days, I believe, of it airing on Netflix. So The Office- No, that's, that's over now. No, no, right no. Now. This is mid-December that we're looking oh, at. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Right. Yeah. So they've got another 10 days before The Office is removed from Netflix. So we'll have another week and a half of streaming minutes for The Office airing on Netflix. And Netflix clearly said, hey, catch The Office before. Before it goes, they weren't shy about saying, look, you might want to watch this. Some people have been doing it. 1.3 billion minutes reviewed. 
And then there's The Crown, Grey's Anatomy, a show Netflix picked up and made a big hit, just like it did with Shit's Creek, called Manhunt, Deadly Games. Supernatural, which just ended its run on the CW. Virgin River, I have no idea what that is. Criminal Minds, Shit's Creek, and a, a movie called A California Christmas. You're like, wait, why are they watching it now? This was a month ago. That's why something well, on Netflix called A California Christmas was being watched. It was mid-December. Also, uh, we do Christmas differently here in California. Oh, no, really? I have no idea why it's called a California Christmas. <laughs> well, I do know that California psychics are the best psychics because there's an ad on my TV, my mom's local TV station saying, California psychics, they really knew my romance needs. They really helped me a lot. California psychics. Like why, why, why that would be branding that would matter. But apparently they decided if you call them a California, people are like, oh, California knows psychics. Those are the real good psychics. So there's some 800 number. You can spend a dollar a minute to talk to your California psychic. Will our podcast ever make money? Uh, no. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> that didn't even well, take we a are, minute. We are California Showbiz Sandbox. Um, <laughs> that's, that's right, we are. So, you know, I, I, I think it's a, a big deal that a non-Netflix property has finally topped the charts. We're going to see a lot more of that down the road. Now, I know what you're trying to do, and I am successfully this week totally derailing our oh. very quick show. We okay. were going to like, we're going to do it in under a half an hour. So little happened. Well, and me, I'm like, let's talk about vaccines. <laughs> and now I'm going to mention um, programmatic advertising. Okay. So you mentioned like, well, you know, you know, ads still matter and they do. But here's the thing. If you're an advertiser, when you're buying a campaign on streaming, you're basically saying, I know I'm going to get a certain amount of advertising. My, my reach will be a certain amount. Let's call it 400,000 unique people. Okay. But I also know that of those 400,000 unique people, I am not going to be advertising California psychics to people who are, say, not in California. Because no, I'm, no, no. I'm, I'm in Alabama getting – it's a national campaign. Well, I know it's a national campaign. I'm just – I'm using maybe a bad example. But it's let's a say very I'm bad not, example. I'm not advertising sneakers to people who really aren't athletes and don't don't really care about sneakers. They they never buy well, sneakers. Well, but you can advertise on a young show. You know, you can advertise on, on a, a, you know – much the way when you search for like, I don't know, pillows. Right. The Crown will have an older audience. The Office will have a hip audience. The Mandalorian will be young. You could advertise sneakers on The Mandalorian. They know how to do this. Yeah, but they're actually, they're really pinpointing it far more accurately to, you know, really. Well, they do it to shows. They do it to TV shows. What's the difference between a network no, they, TV show and a thing. streaming show? They're not only doing it to shows, they're doing it to people. Right. They're saying right. this particular user, we don't know who they are. But we do know that they do a lot of searching for betting. We so want let's people, right. You can sell them advertising to people who do this, that, and the yeah. other thing. Yeah. Yeah. So what's but your point? My point is uh, that it, it, you know, you're not necessarily looking at the number of viewers or minutes viewed. You're really looking for uh, the specific users. Well, I'm sure if they're selling advertising, they will be offering that information. They that know exactly who's watching Speaking everything. Which, it's cable. It's a lot better than network. They, you know, it's they know exactly who purchased their thing. Uh, you know, they know the home. They know the people in it. They know everything about you. So I don't see well, why they can't do it for a streaming service, just like they do for ABC. Now, I, I don't think we've ever seen an Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus show on this list. Maybe we have, but can I tell you something? If you get a chance, watch Ted Lasso. It's mm -hmm. very funny. I've heard some people thought it was amusing. Yeah. I, I thought I went and going, okay. American coach in uh, European soccer, football. Yeah, he's a football coach, 
and by football I mean you know throwing kicking, American you know, football American, yeah. American football uh, for a like third string Division three college and he won some like po- I, 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 I shouldn't say that I was going to say podunk podunk championship but like I think he's from Oklahoma and he's got the Oklahoma accent and everything and he wins like a third string championship and he is hired by a premier league soccer team that's like the major leagues right to coach them wrong football now he's hired knowing it's the wrong football and he goes over there with his his own coach and he knows he's like half the jokes are about him going you know i really wish i understood what you were talking about but since i don't just gonna run over here and you know it's just jason sadikas Jason Sudeikis, yeah, he's very, very funny. So I don't know. I was going to make fun of you and call you such a dad because, you know, I was going to say, oh, people were talking about Ted Lasso ages ago. The show debuted on August 14th, 2020 on Apple TV+. Plus. Three episodes dropped, and then by, I guess, early October, uh, all 10 episodes had aired, I would imagine, just about then. So it was renewed for a second season five days after it premiered. Then they said, we want a third season. They decided that in October once the first season had just ended. So... Clearly, that show is clicking. And the idea, they, of course, they spaced out the episodes. They didn't dump them all at once. But they also, you know, a show is new or they say, oh, we want to talk about new stuff. And show. people are discovering stuff all the time. It's been, you know, what is it, five months now? Five months ago that this show aired, you know, October, three months since the season finale. It's still we're talking about because people are still discovering it. That's that's how it works these days. Yeah, I mean, you know, discovery and how shows bubble up to the surface, like a Shit's Creek, for instance, which yeah. was on. Yeah, you know, when did it become a hit? After its sixth season aired, I don't when, know when Netflix it. began airing reruns. Yeah, just well, like it helped boost other shows, absolutely, like Law and Order. Oh, that was well, came, that was syndicated reruns. Yeah, I mean, that was stripping. Yeah. yeah, I beg your pardon. Anyway, you screwed it all up. Big deal or big whoop? Yes, it's time for big deal or big whoop because Sperling won't say it's time. That's our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Sperling, what is our first story? Well, country act Morgan Wallen, is it Wallen or Whalen? I forgot to look. Well, he announced his super status with the debut of a new double album. It it opened at number one on the Billboard charts and it set an all-time streaming record for a country album. The album is called Dangerous. The double album, because, of course, if it was just dangerous, people would be like, wait, Michael Jackson's re-releasing that. that, that." (laughs) Uh, Anyway, it's a 30-track behemoth. It moved an equivalent of 265,000 units, but Billboard quickly pivoted to what actually happened. Waylon Wallen's song, they were streamed 240 million times in all during its opening week. As the chart experts quickly pointed out, topping the charts is easier when you have more songs shoved onto an album. Someone would need fans to play their 10-track album three times to equal one spin of Wallen's album. Still, he bought the all-time record set he broke the all-time record set by Luke Combs, even if you eliminate his 12 biggest tracks. Further, Wallen didn't win the TV competition, The Voice, but he immediately becomes one of the biggest success stories of that show. Big deal or big whoop? I was looking up how to pronounce Morgan Wallen. I went to a Bobby Bones interview online. He said, hey, Morgan, how you doing? I'm like, that doesn't help. (laughs) Say his full name, Bobby Bones. You're a pro. Come on. So I found another one. It is Morgan Wallen, I believe. And anyway, I think it's a big deal because of how this story was presented. It was a billboard story. They did begin with the fact about, oh, it's an equivalent of this many albums, whatever. They 
quickly focused on what mattered, which are the streaming numbers. That's how all this stuff should be discussed. You should not try and convert streaming into albums. And that's essentially what they did here. They talked about these numbers and I thought, well, you know, there's 30 tracks on the album. You know, that really helps bump up. And they immediately pointed that out. They said the Luke Combs album that he beat, that was that topped the charts and set a record when it was re-released as a deluxe album with extra tracks. So there were 23 tracks on that behemoth once that came out. So that's how he, you know, and people were excited and wanted to hear it. So I feel like the focus on streaming, not trying to convert it into album sales, but focusing on exactly what happened and how it happened and why it happened. I think that's really important. Mind you, Morgan Wallen's a bit of an idiot got drunk and disorderly and arrested last May during the pandemic. Then he was partying out on a bar with, with buddies without a mask right before he was supposed to go on Saturday Night Live. So he got booted from that, but he apologized. He made good. They brought him on again later and he's got a big, big album. So he is perhaps the new big face of country music. Yeah. And when he was booted off Saturday Night Live, it was for a couple weeks, a month or two. Uh, and he, he right away was like, yeah, you know what? We're in the middle of a pandemic. I should not have been yeah, doing that. But that was just that, really dumb of me. Yeah, but he'd done it before. So it's not so sincere when you realize, oh, yeah, he was drunk and disorderly outside a bar in May and being an idiot during the pandemic. So it's not like he did it once and learned his lesson. It's not you can't keep doing it and keep apologizing. So hopefully he's learned his lesson after screwing up twice, at least. But we'll see. But again, the important thing here, streaming, stop pretending people are still doing album sales. They're not. It's all about streaming. Amidst the worsening pandemic, Disneyland is suspending annual passes and refunding customers who have already purchased them. The park in California just south of Los Angeles, has been closed for 10 months and will soon be used as a so-called super site for vaccinations. They will still not give me one. It's not the happiest place for me. The <laughs> annual passes have been around for decades and will presumably return in some form down the line. Is this a big deal or a big whoop? Well, I guess it's a big whoop. You know, I mean, they're closed. Yeah, closed. How, how the hell can they, how can the hell can they charge you for a season ticket? Though I've heard that, well, I'll be people with box Suites are a different beast altogether. So I've heard people with suites in like college football and other areas didn't necessarily get their refund. It's like, if you want it next year, you got to pay for it. So some people maybe did get screwed over, but you know, they're not open. The wording initially made it sound like they were never going to do annual passes again, but nobody seems to think that's the case. So let's catch our breath and hope uh, annual passes in a full park with a lot of people having fun. will come back to life soon. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Universal Studios, which is another theme park here in Los Angeles and, and in Florida, they will do things, and you can always tell when they're having a bad year because they'll say, hey, you know, come come to the park in September, show your California driver's license, and you'll be able to get a free annual pass. So basically what they're saying is come once, but then come back because right. they realize yeah. they're not giving anything away. Most people won't come back. So right. it doesn't matter. They're trying to get of the 100% of the people who come from California who show up. If we could get 10% of them to come back, well, that's great. Hey, people under seven feet tall get a free ice cream cone. You know, they're like, right. just please come to our park. Uh, so, right. yeah, it's just, it just makes sense. What are you going to do? And it also means when they do reopen again, they know it won't be at full capacity. So they don't really need those aggressive annual pass people because they're going to have to keep so much tight control over it. It just isn't worth the hassle until they can open up the doors again and say, everybody come. Shakira, big deal or big, no, just kidding. Well, her hits are a big deal. By the way, I checked with a friend. He had a Yankee season ticket subscription. He still does. They let you roll it over. They obviously didn't say you got to pay. There were no games to play. So they rolled yeah. it over to the next season. 
The best-selling Latin artist, Shakira, that I was just talking about, mm-hmm. uh, she's the best-selling Latin artist of all time, by the way. She is selling the rights to her music publishing. I bid on them and was uh, outbid almost instantly. Oh, well. Yeah. Well, the company Hypnosis, it's, uh, but it, there's a G in there. So is the G silent? It's hip G. Well, they're, they're smart about being hip, you know, something yeah. like that. Which has been, they've been snapping up rights like a kid in a candy store. They've got like everybody's rights. You get some song rights and you get some song rights. They bought 100% of the rights from Shakira, both writing and publishing. It now owns 145 songs, including songs like Hips Don't Lie. Unlike Bob Dylan, Stevie Nicks, Lindsey Buckingham, and other recent sellers, Shakira may have been producing hits since her debut in 1995, but she still feels like a more current active act than those elder states people in the first two weeks of 2021 hypnosis 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 purchased 50 percent of neil young's catalog 100 percent of jimmy iovine's producing royalties and 100 percent of lindsey buckingham's catalog is this a big deal or a big whoop well there's been lots of stories explaining why these acts are selling them at this time uh, a lot of them are elder statesmen and while she's been around 25 years Shakira's still going strong uh, BMG just bought Mick Fleetwood's publishing rights to more than 300 of his recordings everything by Fleetwood Mac that he did except for the first two Fleetwood Mac albums those were during the blues area so now Mick Stevie and Lindsay have all sold off their uh, you know what about John McVie what's wrong with you John doesn't he have any publishing rights to sell uh, so it's just uh, it's a good time to do it. There's a hot market. A lot of these people are approaching the ends of their careers and they're just it's a cleaner way to deal with all this mess. And they're just you know, making that financial decision. I'm not quite sure why Shakira did it, too. But, you know, she's been around 25 years. Good time to cash in. And, uh, you know, there's a what lot of price. What did you what did they, they, did they have not you? reported it yet? Uh, okay. Lips don't lie if they don't tell you what the price is. And uh, at the same time, Sony is launching Sony Immersive Music Studios. They are creating avatars for virtual concerts and the like. They see a big future in music for like virtual concerts, things that have been done in the space like Fortnite. They think they can just do that on their own. You know, they're having a virtual concert with one of their new acts for her debut album. They think the technology is getting there. So, you know, publishing is always great. It doesn't matter whether you're touring live whether you're streaming or whether you're doing an immersive virtual reality concert, music publishing pays off. (laughs) I would have bought it years ago. Paul McCartney was right. The Kennedy Center announced the artists who would receive one of the nation's top honors in May of 2021. They include country singer Garth Brooks, one of the best-selling acts of all time, by the way, choreographer and actor and director Debbie Allen, folk singer and activist Joan Baez, violinist Midori, so famous and so well-known, she only needs one name. And Dick Van Dyke, the star of two hit shows, including one of the best sitcoms of all time and films like Mary Poppins, where he has one of the worst accents of all time. Big deal or big whoop? He's probably a better rapper than I am. I'll tell you that much. Um, this is a big whoop. Thank God. Right. There's going to be no controversy. The president will attend again. Nobody will have to feel they have to throw it back in his face or refuse to accept it. Can you imagine what Joan Baez would have done if Trump tried to give her the Kennedy Center honor? Oh, Lord. So it's nice to know that this is not some firestorm or an ex- or a, a cause for controversy and concern. It's just, yes, these people had great careers. We're honoring them. Continue. Yeah. Isn't it great normalcy? Sometimes? Yeah. Well, let's hope. I look forward to more of it. So here's the thing, Michael. You are old enough. To remember, are the you main- are you old enough? Why don't you, why are you just assuming I'm old enough? Well, uh, well, are you old enough for you know 
to remember all these major networks promoting the movie of the week? Are you, or yes, like the yes, I am. Yes, I am. Okay. Well, sometimes it was the Sunday night movie or the Tuesday night movie, but a number of networks made hay out of the fact that they were airing movies. Okay. Sometimes they were feature films airing on TV. That was the, the, you know, the, the broadcast window, in fact. But just as often, it was a made-for-TV movie. Like Brian Song. Like Brian Song, that's right. And the more popular they proved, the more they made them. Slowly, feature films became almost entirely the province of cable, be it HBO or TBS or whatever. And original movies of the week never entirely disappeared, but they were certainly never a part of a network schedule anymore. Lifetime made a lot of them. That's true. Say. Yeah, cable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everything that is old is old. No, just kidding. Everything that is old is new again. So congratulations, Michael. You're new again. And <laughs> Netflix has embraced the idea of the movie of the week. It announced a slate of 70 titles begging the question, does Netflix need me to buy them a calendar? Because <laughs> there's only 52 weeks. Uh, well, they have at least one new movie every single week. They range from acquisitions at film festivals to originals backed by Netflix. And, you know, those, those originals are making their world debut online. Big deal or big whoop? All right. We're talking about movies of the week. Netflix is making a ton of them. 70 of them are on their slate for the coming year. I, I think they've pretty much committed to them all being released in 2021. They're making a lot of them. Is it a good use of their money? I'm not sure. I think movies make sense, but I'd rather spend my money on miniseries and ongoing TV shows. So I understand some of these will be seen as franchises. The Kissing Booth, certainly, that's had three. The Princess Switch, that worked great. There's a lot of movies that they can make that they can franchise out. But still, I'd rather put more of my energy into TV shows and miniseries than to a one-off movie. I certainly don't think these streamers are making a lot of sense when they pour money into like $200 million movies like Netflix did with The Irishman or Amazon. They are circling the Chris Pratt film, The Tomorrow War, which would cost them $200 million. I'd rather launch like 10 TV shows, you know, and see what sticks to the wall. Or, yeah, I guess, you know, 20 movies. So I don't know. Um, but one thing I do realize when Netflix does this, they are associated with so many big stars, George Clooney, uh, Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson, uh, every big male and Meryl Streep. Is she on? Was that on Netflix? I forget where channel. No, no, HBO Max. Yeah. There are so many stars connected to Netflix movies. Now they can really boast like MGM. They have more stars than there are in heaven. I mean, they really do have a lot of stars and that can't hurt your promotional thing when you get to flash. A bunch of names across the screen and say Netflix, boom, every star you've ever heard of. Sandra Bullock, George Clooney, you name it. So I can tell right now mm -hmm. that you have not, you did not watch the American football playoffs this past weekend. Okay. No, Do you know I how I know that? Yeah, because that? if you had, you, you would have seen the commercials that were just that. Oh, really? Fact. Oh, really? Yes. Did they really? <laughs> one after the other. They were just one like, we've other. got a lot of stars. That was literally all they were doing? Pretty much, yes. And it that was, was Netflix. Like one new movie every week oh. with the following stars. It you know, was I, like, I, 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 I was like, wow. I didn't think they were showing ads. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, well, there too. you go. But they should, you know, buy up that, if they're going to, why not buy MGM and buy the slogan? More stars than there are in the heavens. <laughs> Well, you know, here's the way I look at it. I think that when movie theaters come back right now, Netflix is one of the biggest theatrical distributors of the past year because they're actually releasing movies to movie theaters. Yeah. Uh, my feeling is, you know what? We all have that Netflix app on our phones. Okay. 
Uh, why not? I don't. I don't have an, a Netflix app on my phone. I don't watch stuff on my phone. <laughs> Neither do I, actually. All right. Um, <laughs> but I think I downloaded it for the iPad, and so it flowed over to the phone. Like, okay. whatever. So uh, why not make it so that I can go to a movie theater to see your movie, and maybe either A, I get in free, or B, I, um, I pay a reduced rate. That's not like our that. job. What not our mean, job to not? save the film industry. That's what Netflix would say. Yeah, you're just giving me one more reason I mean, to be a there, Netflix there subscriber. Movie, there, aren't That's movie, it. there aren't movie theaters open right now, really. I meant that when they reopen. Huh. Yeah, sure. Well, they would. They want to show movies in theaters, at least some of them, but the theaters fight them every step of the way. Maybe, yeah, well, maybe they'll say, you know what, day and date, whatever. If people are willing to come and buy popcorn, we're down with it. That, that may yeah. be what I, I don't think that's the best thing for the industry. I don't think that's the best thing for the Netflix movies necessarily, but that may be what happens. That's a little inside baseball, though, don't you think? I do think that is a little inside baseball. Now, let me explain what inside baseball is. It's when you talk about things that are kind of very uh, wonkish. In fact, we have a whole segment called Inside Baseball. Oh. That segment is where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and, more importantly, how they affect you. Now, the entertainment industry isn't necessarily buzzing about this, but the media industry is. And they're all saying, did you see what's going on, on over at CNN? Ooh. They're like totally like on fire over there. At least, you know, who CNN is telling me that. Uh, so CNN is reporting that CNN is doing quite well. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, James Murdoch, who, of course, of the Murdoch family, who left Fox News and News Corp last year, uh, is now saying, you know, the media companies bear some responsibility, and I'm not <laughs> going to point out. Thanks, James. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to point out to a specific media company, but there are some media companies that helped stoke the fire of what happened on January 6th, and uh, yeah, I think they bear some responsibility. Well, but, yeah. So our story. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're yeah, talking well, about week, the reputation of Fox News. We're talking about the ratings war. Last week, we discussed the battle royale taking place between 24-hour news channels in the 7 p.m. time slot. Changes at Jeopardy and the increasing draw for advertisers compared to a smaller audience on major networks are the big reason that 7 p.m. is heating up and CNN and Fox News and MSNBC are all making big moves. There are a lot of day parts that are making big moves, but there's more to it than that. This week, we're wondering if the ratings triumph of CNN for the last two and a half months is a sign of something bigger. What prompted this? An article on, yes, CNN.com. Okay, it did run on CNN's website, but still, they make a good point. A news analysis argues there's a titanic shift underway in the world of 24-hour news channels. Ever since the November election, the ratings for Fox News have sagged, while the ratings for CNN have reached historic heights. Since we're talking two months and counting, it may be more than a blip. Fox News is used to being number one all day during the day, in prime time, in total viewers, and in the key 25 to 54 demographic they sell ad rates on. That's been the story for a number of years. They're number one, CNN is number two, MSNBC is number three, and progressives go, yeah, but if you add up CNN and, and MSNBC, they're bigger. It's like, yeah, 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 but Fox News is number one. Well, now in January, continuing the trend from November and December, Fox News has been second or even third in those key ratings metrics, trailing CNN and often MSNBC as well. What's going on here, right? Sperling, there are two big factors at play. What are they? Well, one, I mean, uh, Fox News 
you know, CNN and MSNBC, you would say, oh, well, CNN is, is, is a liberal network and MSNBC is a liberal, liberal democratic network. They, they focus on Democrats and they're against the Republicans and Fox News is for the Republicans uh, and they're right leaning. Uh, well, there has been no right leaning media outlets, uh, television media outlets other than Fox News. But now they have Newsmax and One American News Network. I'm not going to get into One American News Network. I will tell you this. Go on YouTube, search up uh, John Oliver and One American News Network and watch his diatribe on it because it is beyond accurate. Hmm. Basically, these are propaganda machines. That's right. The uh, Newsmax, however, is competition for Fox News. They're sort of going for the same audience. And OANN is the same. However, Newsmax peaked at about 300,000 viewers all day long right after the election. That's the biggest ratings they've ever had. Uh, like we set up above higher, the, the big guys are talking about millions of people during the day. Um, so OANN doesn't even bother subscribing to Nielsen. That's how small it is. Though they did crow over what they said was success in one time slot over Fox News on one day as monitored by our friends at Comscore. It was brief, but beating Fox News even once for even one day was worth a press release as far as they were concerned. So CNN has faced competition from what people see as the similar audience. Fox News is now facing competition. But if you add it up, MSNBC is much bigger than, than Newsmax and OANN combined. So I don't think that's the big factor here. But they have been saying. So what's the other reason that this might be going on? Well, what, the two events over the last month, the the refusal of the Republican Party to accept the results of the uh, of the presidential election probably would be number one and uh, an assault on the Capitol, basically the storming well, of the it's Capitol been one, threatening it's the been lives a, of the vice president. Right. It's been one crisis after another for the last two months. The delayed yeah. election results were like a week or five or six days. Uh, the refusal to accept the election created a lot of tension. Uh, the, the marches around the country, the assault on the Capitol, uh, on and on the impeachment. It's really been massive you know, breaking news of the real sort type two months here. And during actual news events, CNN has historically enjoyed the best ratings. Even during a presidential debate, Fox News can top CNN, things like that. But when there's unexpected news, people have turned to CNN. They've been doing it for decades, long before Fox News was around. They are seen as the news network. Fox News and MSNBC are more opinion networks. MSNBC has more hours devoted to just pre presenting the news, though they also have primetime personalities like Rachel Maddow, the liberal equivalent to Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and things like that. Fox News has very little time of their day devoted to actual presentation of the news. It's mostly opinion. You know, in the afternoon, CNN has, you know, the Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer and Fox has The Five, which is another roundtable opinion show. It's not presenting the news. So when you think news, people turn to CNN, even people watching Fox News. If there's a breaking story, a crisis, a storming, a, a natural disaster, people turn to CNN first. That's always been the way. So that's a long built in pattern. However, you know, unless we keep reeling from crisis to crisis, you know, the, the, the fact that CNN and even MSNBC are topping Fox News, that might slow down or stop. However, the longer it keeps up, the more likely it will create a permanent shift in viewership. In some ways, it's more about CNN and MSNBC growing more than Fox News rather than it's about Fox News losing a ton of people to Newsmax and OANN. Fox News is not losing a ton of people. It's just that CNN and MSNBC are doing, in some ways, better than ever. Fox News' ratings have sagged a little bit, 
but it's really also more about big growth in CNN. They're hitting historic highs. The day of the attempted coup was their highest single-rated day ever. That's, you know, 9-11, uh, presidential assassination attempts, everything. That's their highest-rated day ever. So, And right. think about it. They're getting big ratings, right? Right. But then you watch what happens uh, in the last week, okay? They literally broadcast from the the house floor mm-hmm. nonstop no breaks no advertising at all well, they did so their job yeah they did their job yeah i could do with a little bit less of the the trump bashing it's like i get it i think everybody gets it we all get it the guy's kind of like he's gone way off the reservation at this point but it, you know to to literally go from news gathering to political pundits kind of doing frankly the only thing they can do at this point back like pointing out hey well this don't, guy- don't conflate news gathering with opinions somebody today criticized the washington post because they didn't like an opinion piece that ran that's not the washington post's opinion so don't conflate cnn's news gathering with something that a commentator said on the air they have they, they conservatives the and liberals they don't mix them they, they have news and then they have people on there who are identified as commentators and they get their opinion they're filling up dimes of the day saying what's going to happen to get analysts and be i don't like the fact that they've paid analysts from the left and the right who are just going to repeat the talking points of the democratic or republican national committees but they don't pretend they're news people they don't pretend they're presenting facts they have 24 hours to fill at some times they're presenting news at other times they turn to people for analysis and commentary you know so that's that don't let's not pretend that they're news bashing on the it's not walter cronkite criticizing the president here it's not jake tapper you know saying the president this is about the difference no, jake between tapper actually yeah, jake has tapper provides commentary he also okay. he also heads news things it's just you know there's two different areas of think people could do two things you can write a news story and then write an opinion column later it's possible anyway we don't cover politics here but uh it, and by the way Rick Santorum, again, for those who don't know, outside the country, he is a former senator. He is Republican. He is a staunch Republican. He is about as right as he can get. He's a hate monger. Yes. Yes. uh, What Michael said. Uh, And, you know, even he has been like, yeah, I can't really defend him on this one. Uh, Kind of, you know, he's I mean, even he has kind of come around to. Oh, boy. Yeah. Who are the friends you hang out with that think CNN is too hippie liberal? I don't hang out with anybody these days. Oh, well, you keep saying you're hearing people criticizing CNN. But by the way, just don't watch CNN for three hours at a time. Just don't watch news. Don't watch. I don't watch television news. Basically, I think it's pointless. You want information? Buy a newspaper. Go online and and substantially read a news. Don't turn on the news unless there's some breaking event. Otherwise, it is going to be frustrating and annoying because all they do is try to amp up excitement. Even CNN. It's their job is just to, you know, to have 20 people on to discuss what just happened, what is happening, what might happen soon. It could be this, right. it could be that, it could be the other thing. It's a total waste of your time. So, yeah, I mean, right now they're all like, what, what's going to happen at the, will the presidential inauguration be interrupted by militia? The reality is, no, there's 25,000 troops in Washington, D.C., more than in our Afghanistan and Iraq combined. So let's think about what's going to happen at the inauguration. There'll be a very small inauguration. Well, it will take place without incident. They've and already arrested two people with weapons trying to get into secure areas with oh, really? lots of ban- oh yeah weapons I ammunition watch. yeah yeah i don't well, watch I, the news 24 7 I, I read it on the newspaper yes okay well so, you know who's not reading uh the newspaper who's anymore? that siegfried of siegfried and roy all right let's well, go quick we got four people in our obituary section they all deserve attention siegfried of siegfried and roy dies at 81 
they were one of the great acts in Las Vegas, and now they're gone forever. Uh, he died just eight months after Roy died of COVID in May of 2020. Uh, that's not unusual for people who have been partnered for many decades, and they've been together romantically and professionally for a long, long time. I love this. They met in 1957 when Siegfried was a steward on a German cruise line, casually performing magic for the passengers and crew. Roy was a cabin boy who smuggled his pet cheetah onto the ship. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, Siegfried, and, the, and he said, can you help me with my act? And he said, well, you made that rabbit disappear. What about this cheetah? <laughs> and a magical <laughs> act was born. Princess Grace of Monaco boosted them in 1966, the year I was born. She performed for her, and she praised them enthusiastically. They were one of the biggest magic and animal acts in history, a vegan mainstay for decades. Steve Wynn booked them and said they ran for 30 years, 48 weeks a year, sold out. Of course, their career ended tragically when Roy was harmed by an animal in 2003, but they retired and they'll always be remembered. Well, you know, Siegfried did say, without Roy, there is no Siegfried, and without Siegfried, there is no Roy. So Roy died, you know, in May. Uh, and so I guess he was right because yeah. Siegfried died less than a year later. Now, here's a director who didn't direct a lot of stuff, but her life is worthy of a movie. Director Stacy Title died at the age of 56. Her career amounted to a lot of near misses and potential, but she's worth remembering. In 1994, her career was launched when she earned an Oscar nomination for her short film, Down on the Waterfront. A year later, she directed Cameron Diaz in the indie film, The Last Supper. I remember when that came out. Then titled Detoured into Horror with films like Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror. She wrote the pilot for a failed reboot of The Lone Ranger on the WB. And she finally clicked to a modest degree with The Bye Bye Man in 2017. Then she made her TV episodic debut. She had bigger projects in the reach after 13 years of working, and suddenly she was rear-ended in a car accident. Within weeks, she had chronic problems, and months later, she was diagnosed with ALS. That is a bitch, the Lou Gehrig's disease. Good Lord. Within a year, she couldn't walk, talk, or swallow. She was on a ventilator and feeding tube, but she kept fighting. She directed PSAs about ALS and even arranged to direct one more film called Walking Time Bomb, starring Jason Alexander of Seinfeld and Carrie Elwes. It was never made, and title has now died, but, you know, <laughs> things, you fight hard, you never got to remember what's important. I mean, what a fascinating almost, a career of almost, and, you know, tragic and tough, but, uh, you know, pretty inspiring, you know, keeps your travails in, 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 in context, doesn't it? Perspective. Good Lord. Now, now, you remember the the uh, the club in New York, the Bottom Line? Of course, yes, I went there many times. Yes, when I was at NYU, I, I saw a number of people perform there. Uh, Melissa Etheridge and a guy named Buster Poindexter, ah, which was this hot, hot, hot. Yes, hot, hot, hot. That was his big song. Um, but he was like a whole persona, mm -hmm. right? He was like a night, like a lounge singer, big, yeah, old fashioned guy. Yes, people at the party. Hot, hot, hot. Um, so he, of course, start, got his you know, big start with the New York Dolls, a big punk band. Mm -hmm. And w one of the uh, founders of that uh, band was Sylvain Sylvain, the guitarist. That's right. He died at the age of 69. Uh, the band burned briefly, but brightly. Uh, the Dolls were a hugely influential punk band of the early 70s, or really actually proto-punk, since they came before punk even existed. They influenced the Ramones, the Sex Pistols, and a million heavy metal acts, from Van Halen to Guns N' Roses, with their ferocious music, showmanship, and androgynous looks. David Johansson was the singer, Johnny Thunder was the lead guitarist, and Sylvain was the relatively sane rhythm guitarist who laid the groundwork for everyone else. They were all in dresses. 
<laughs> on their debut album, they posed on the cover in dresses. People were like, what? What? And they were a badass punk rock band, but there they were, just slumming in dresses. Their drummer OD'd during their first big break, which was opening for Rod Stewart on tour. They fought with their first producer, Todd Rundgren, who made their first and best album. They were named the best new act by the Readers of Cream, and they were named the worst new act by the Readers of Cream. That's the kind of group they were. Two more members left the group and died of heroin overdoses. Sylvain and Johansson tried to reunite with bassist Arthur Kane, at which point Kane promptly died. This is very spinal sap, true, but they had one debut album that's a landmark of rock and roll. It's number 301 on Rolling Stone's top 500 of albums of all time. Well worth remembering, the New York Dolls. Now, I know that you think, you know, these guys, man, they just go on and on with these obituaries. Uh, And we're going to do one here for Owen Marsh. He is a camera operator. Now, you might be thinking, okay, now there really is no news. If they're going <laughs> to camera operators, there must be no news whatsoever. Uh, What's and- next? Obits for best boys and gaffers? And I say, well, why not? He died at when- 90, and I want to be polite to his family. You know, we, we, everybody's worth mentioning. He got an obit in Variety, and I thought, a camera operator? That's interesting. Why the heck are they? Oh, this is pretty interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he helped found the union now known as the Society of Camera Operators, and he then served as its first president from 1979 to 1981, and ultimately received a Lifetime Achievement Award in 1992. Well, you helped found a union and you're a president. You damn well better get a Lifetime Achievement Award. (laughs) That's all I can say. He did a lot of uh, stunt work. Well, not him personally, but the stunt camera work, he, operating the cameras for stunts uh, on the side of buildings or in helicopters. And he, he did everything from Papillon to the Towering Inferno to TV shows like The Brady Bunch and Murder, She Wrote. So go figure. I love that because, you know, as your career slows down, you want something like Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> That's a nice yeah. way to ease into retirement, I think. The TV show The Brady Bunch, Murder, She Wrote. Perfect. His family yeah. history, however, was steeped in Hollywood. This is what really put him over the top for me. His mom was a violinist who played music on the sets of silent movies to create a mood. I had no idea they did that. No idea. I, I didn't either. That's fascinating. His aunts acted in silent films, including, unfortunately, Birth of a Nation, Donald Trump's favorite film. And one of them was an editor with her brother for director Ernst Lubitsch. His dad was MGM cinematographer Ollie Marsh who won an honorary Oscar for his work in color back in 1938. Ollie shot films like A Tale of Two Cities, The Great Ziegfeld, After the Thin Man. He was such a denizen of MGM, he collapsed and died in the studio canteen at the age of 49, way back in 1941. So Owen was a child actor. You can see him rescued by Jeanette McDonald during an earthquake scene in the 1936 disaster flick San Francisco, which makes his work on The Towering Inferno make a lot of sense. But he loved being a camera operator, and he chose not to tackle the more prestigious job of DP. He worked on flicks like... Or, di- or director of photography, cinematographer. That's, that's what right. that, that is. He yeah. worked on flicks like Ben-Hur from 1959, How the West Was Won, The Greatest Story Ever Told, which he spent years working on because he was one of the few people who knew the cameras that they were going to use for that movie. He even did Elvis Presley's Love Me Tender. And after he ooh, retired, anybody who's worked on a film set should know this. After he retired, Marsh published a memoir called parking lots i've eaten in (laughs) which is hilarious because that's craft services is there in the parking lot yes that's actually that's like a restaurant review for you know production personnel that's hilarious (laughs) exactly well finally uh and you know this happened yesterday and i was you know michael and i texted back and forth 
I was actually uh, on a treadmill at the time doing my, you know, one hour of exercise per week because, you know, heaven forbid, you know, the gyms opened up. Uh, they can't actually open up. Uh, in any case, this text came through, uh, a notification came through that Phil Spector, the famed music producer, died. And I was like, darn it. I know by the time I get it, get to a computer to enter this in the obituary section, Micah will have had it. And sure enough, he had. <laughs> well, yeah, you can sum up Phil Spector's career with two phrases, wall of sound and convicted murderer. Uh, the, BBC, Literally. the BBC website was typically British and understated. It said, talented but flawed producer dies aged 81. No, no, no. Talented but murderous killer producer dies age 80. He's not flawed when you kill someone. He had a long lifetime of, uh, of violence and, and messed up parts of his life. But as a producer, he made that person potentially as famous as the acts they produced, presaging a time when critics and savvy fans would tout the accomplishments of songwriters, studio musicians like The Wrecking Crew, and producers like George Martin and Phil Spector and Phil Ramone. Spector was arguably the first so well known, it was his name on the cover of the iconic holiday album, A Christmas Gift for You from Phil Spector, one of the great albums of all time. From the Crystals and the Ronettes to the Beatles and Leonard Cohen, he did it all. But his bizarre, unstable behavior for a long time just seemed eccentric until we learned of his abusive treatment of women like ex-wife Ronnie Spector and finally his murder of actress Lana Clarkson. He died in jail, by the way. He did the Beatles. Well, no, yeah, he died in a hospital, but right. pretty much, you know, a prisoner. I thought it was a prison hospital, but maybe I'm wrong. Oh, may maybe uh, it was a prison hospital. Um, he did the Beatles, a lot of their stuff, solo and the group. He did Let It Be. He did George Harrison's first and best solo album, All Things Must Pass. He did John Lennon's Plastic Ono Band and Imagine, two of his best albums. He co-wrote Spanish Harlem by Benny King. He worked with arranger Jack Nietzsche, a crucial artistic ally for many years. We know the names of producers like Phil Ramone and Don Was and so many others because we learned about Phil Spector first. He's got six and a half albums on the current Rolling Stone list of the 500 best albums of all time. Why the half album? Was he like, you know what? That's it. I'm out. Well, I'm not doing any more. The Righteous Brothers have a greatest hit set, and he did like three or four of their key songs. Obviously, you've <laughs> lost that love and feeling. Uh, so, uh, you know, so... It's sort of six and a half. But anyway, I think he's exhibit number one or a good example of how you can enjoy the work of terrible people. We're not saying it's not a big deal. We're not trying to downplay what a horrible person he was or his abuse of Ronnie Spector. I'm not running out looking to hand him money. You know, I don't want to give yeah. him money, but the music is great. And I wouldn't want to see him get work today if he were still alive. I wouldn't think people should work with him. But that stuff he did decades ago, it doesn't diminish the horrible personal things he did. But the music is great, and I can listen to it and still enjoy it. And thank God, I appreciate the words of Darlene Love and uh, and Ronnie Spector, who both commented on his death. And you know, they were sad, and you know, they've moved on, and they don't they don't forgive, or you know what I mean. I don't mean to say that, but they don't think oh, it's no big deal how abusive he was to Darlene Love or the killing of a woman. But they're able to separate that from the music, and they you know, Darlene Love's like, I wouldn't be a star if it wasn't for the work I did with him decades ago, and he he was mean to me financially and artistically, not physically, personally. But you know what? I've got don't have time to hate and I've moved on. So and she can still enjoy the music and listen to it. Well, if she can, so can I. Well, hopefully you can continue to listen to us as well. In fact, if you'd like to subscribe to us on iTunes, 
with whatever Google is using now for its podcasts, I have to really figure that out. Spotify, Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher. And please, if you can, if they allow it, please do rate and review the show in one of those podcast aggregators. It does help us out when you do. Links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode, as well as those ways to subscribe to us. That information can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That is also where you'll find ways to contact us. Our email address is dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're also on Twitter at showbizsandbox is our handle. On Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash showbizsandbox. Again, all of that information is on our website, showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group, MGMT, and they can be found on their own website, who is MGMT.com. Michael Giltz has a website, and every week it's something new and exciting. What is it this week, Michael? Soon may the weatherman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tongan is done, we'll take our leave and go.com. Wow, that's a lot of letters. So if you can't actually spell all of that or lost track somewhere, why not just head on over to michaelgiltz.com where all of his coverage of the entertainment industry is aggregated. Some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until next week, play nice. I've told you my rap names, right? No, I have not heard about your rap names. Well, I used to be Wonder Mike, but that was taken by, you know, the guys from uh, uh, the Sugar Hill Gang. Oh, you know, okay. I am Wonder Mike, and I'd like to say hello to the black, to the white, to the red, to the brown, to the purple and yellow. And then I was Magic Mike, but that got taken up by a stripper. So that was a big problem. I couldn't <laughs> well, be Magic a, Mike. A, a, fictitional, a fictitious stripper. That's right. That's, well, yeah, but nonetheless, it kind of kind of bigfooted me. So now I'm down to four rap names. Oh, you only have four rap names? I have okay. four rap names. And what are they? A microphone, because the world needs to hear my sound. A mic stand, because I won't take it lying down. Stereo mic, because your ears want to swallow me. And mic drop, because no one can follow me. Hey, <laughs> mic drop is pretty good. Mic drop <laughs> is good, right? Mic drop. That's a good name. That is. Come on. There you go. Those are my rap names. <laughs>